Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join us again on the show today. Well today Helen and I are joined by Anne Timpany who is an award-winning business woman, uh, an entrepreneur operating in the construction sector. And uh, what is interesting about the discussion is the fact that whilst Anne is not a property investor and developer herself, her business provides services to us and in fact uh, she goes on to give us lots of tips on being more inclusive as a result of that looking at things perhaps through a different lens. And we had a wide-ranging conversation with so many good points made about business, juggling family life and the key disciplines of marketing and finance. So let's just have a listen to what Anne has to say right now. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Well, here we are again, and we—I'm uh, delighted to say—we have another exciting guest on the program, on the program, on the episode today of our series of women in property, and we've got Anne Timpany, who is the CEO of Atra Group, who's joining us, uh, Helen and I today. Hello, Anne. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? All good, thank you. Absolutely. Great. Looking forward to this conversation. And I was saying before we got we came on to recording that perhaps there's going to be maybe a different angle here in, in terms of uh, our conversation. You, you probably won't appreciate, Anne, but a lot of the people we've been speaking to have been predominantly operating in the sort of residential property sector um, to a large extent. But, uh, you know, I'll let you talk about your, your background and uh, involvement in, in property, generally speaking. But it's, uh, it comes from a slightly different angle, I believe, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, very much so. Very much on the actual construction side of it. So talk us through what uh, what have you been involved in? What are you involved yeah. in? Maybe how you've got to where you are as well. A little bit of the story of your journey and, and obviously where, where you are now would be perfect if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Um, so my husband and I set up a little plumbing company called Tap Plumbers in 2009. So nearly 10 years ago now. And that little plumbing company has developed into a mechanical construction company um, almost 10 years down the track. So where we were doing people's boilers and unblocking people's drains, um, uh, we've really moved along quite, quite, quite a fast pace to a completely different sector of construction now. It sounds wonderful. I just can't help detect it. There's a slight accent there in the in your voice, isn't there? I I think it's more than slight, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get told very quite often you're really holding on to that southern atmosphere and accent, aren't you? So, yes, I am. I'm originally from New Zealand, and I've been in the United Kingdom for 15 years. Okay. Mm. And so, um, I started though in yeah. hospitality. So when I first came out to the UK, I was really actually only going to be here for six months, 
and I was planning on moving back to the southern hemisphere after I'd had lots of partying and lots of travel and good times. But I managed to get stuck into stuck into life in the UK and met my husband not too long after I arrived um, and then settled down. And originally I was working in the hospitality and events businesses, mm-hmm. working for large-scale operations in Soho and London nightclubs and things like that. Um, doing marketing and sales um, mm-hmm. but when the economic recession hit the big one in 2008 that was when I was made redundant and during that time my husband was building his career as a plumber working for other people uh, and then around about the time late 2009 my husband said that he was ready to go out on his own and I said to him well I'm at a loose end. I know a little bit about sales and marketing. You're pretty good at plumbing, but you don't know anything about that. So why don't we try and put our heads together and see where this takes us? So, yeah, that was nearly 10 years ago, and it's taken us quite a way. Yeah, and I'm sure there's quite a lot we can we can sort of extract as we go along in the conversation. But, you know, I think um, I sometimes like to talk about what, what I call as transferable skills. And, um, and, and then sort of different, mm. you know, roles and how, you know, we can support each other in business operations. Cause it's rare that we do things alone. Um, and you, you know, you've already pointed out that you're, you're working with your husband in the business and you've got, you know, different, uh, roles and responsibilities within the business. If I just detect that from what you've just said. But, um, yes, and I, I noticed the Chartered Institute of Marketing amongst you. I, I've got your LinkedIn profile in front of, in front of me. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not completely stalking you. I'm just, this is public information, but I noticed the Chartered <laughs> Institute of Marketing is listed there as a, as a qualification. And, and, and obviously you've just said you've been, you've been working in the marketing sector. So did you find that the, having that kind of skill set has been helpful to you in the business? Absolutely. That's where um, initially where my strengths lay. We're in construction and trades. You generally, the person that starts the company, the plumbing company or the electrical company, they're very good at the trade that they trained in. So, you know, my husband was a very good plumber, but he didn't really understand how he'd go about promoting himself or getting sales. And, and often, because in those early days, they also are still on the tools. They're still doing the actual work themselves. So for them to be able to find the time to not only do do that work, but also market themselves, do all the invoices, create all the estimates, you know, all that kind of relationship building with the clients, that that that's very difficult for them in the beginning stages of the business. Um, and a lot of tradesmen go through that, um, you know, that kind of experience. So what I brought to the table was to be able to take that responsibility off his hands so he could focus on what he really enjoyed doing um, and he also I, if I'd left it up to him he probably would have just put his name and number on the side of a van and waited for the phone to ring but that's <laughs> you know that's that's not going to necessarily work and it's not necessarily going to bring in the kind of clients that you want to work with as well so the other thing that we <clears throat> when we started our plumbing company out is that we had a real mission. We wanted to get rid of that whole concept of the cowboy tradesman that the whole general public had that uh, assumption of. And I think as well with a woman 
kind of at the helm of the business, at the, at the front of the business, that brings a bit more trust and reliability. Um, and the fact that you know a lot of women, a lot of times, my husband visited people's homes. It was a woman at home waiting. It was a woman at home that had to feel comfortable with that tradesman that was coming into the house. It was a woman at home that was making those decisions about that sanitary wear, that toilet, that unit that they wanted to install. So I think they felt very comfortable talking to me on the phone, you know, about, and having a relationship between the three of us rather than just talking to the plumber. I'm pausing yeah, because that, I know. That makes I a knew, lot of sense. There you go, Helen. You see, I was waiting. I was waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Not long enough. <laughs> no, the I'm other thing say, he would never have thought about in those early stages is the fact that when when you're marketing a business, you need to look professional even from day one. So we went for a branding and um, a concept that made us look a lot bigger than we actually were. So on Tap Plumbers itself, it was just my husband out in his van with a, you know, with somebody helping him out. But the branding itself, the way we kind of put it out there, made it look a lot bigger. And I said to him, the things that create that kind of trust and confidence with your customers is that you, you don't have just a dirty white van with a Sun newspaper tossed in the front of it and some dirty coffee cups. You know, you've, you've actually got a, a nice signed up van. You're wearing a uniform that you look clean, semi-clean anyway, that um, you put things like covers on your shoes because you respect their property. That all kind of helps build that confidence in your brand and your service. Uh, and that was something that I don't think a lot of them really consider at the beginning. And he probably didn't either. Um, but yeah, so I think that marketing background really helped us establish that. So Richard and I have talked often about um, small business people not having the time to work on the business because they're working in the business and that you know what you've said absolutely echoes that um, but it's also I think so I, I um, did some marketing and PR uh, for a, a large building and plumbing merchant for some years and a, a lot of what they did was to help um, you know yeah plumbers and and trades who were effectively one-man bands or might have a you know a couple of guys who helped them out to market themselves more professionally so mm. um your husband was really lucky to have you know you, your know-how for to have you come on board and and show him the way and i'm sure he was wasn't he yeah. <laughs> you <tell> him that? <laughs> happy to <laughs> So it'd be really I hear about a lot of like husband and wife teams where the husband mm. doesn't really see the potentially the the value that 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 the other half can bring to the business, um, which is also an interesting dynamic. And we've also interviewed someone who today who is also business partners with her husband, and and she said that um, you know their first experience of refurbing um, their first buy to let property. Uh, they argued loads, but they they worked it all out, and they they realised that they can actually work well together. But they need plenty of couples where that hasn't been the case. Yeah, 
most couples actually. I think it's quite a small percentage of couples that main, maintain that relationship. We're moving forward. I haven't heard of many that can do it, but the one thing, I think the key with us was that um, Raf does his job very, very well, and I do my job, I hope, very, very well, and we respect um, each other's skill set. I wouldn't try to tell him how to plumb a radiator, and he also wouldn't tell me how to do a tax return. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we res <laughs> we respect that each other have different skill sets, and we don't step on each other's toes. And that means that the business, that the you know, the working relationship goes really well. And the other thing I find as well was that we both have a shared goal. Mm. And you've got to constantly, you know, you've got to always be aware of that. We're not fighting each other. You know, I'm not trying to get my my share of the business or my share of whatever, and he's not trying to get his. This is something we're doing, you know, as a team. Um, so that's how we kind of bring that into the whole business, how we work with everybody. Yeah, I probably want to step in there because you know I, I've not, I've, I don't know if I'm right in detecting, but you you sounded you know you, my, my husband's lucky to have me type of thing. It's, it's a bit of bit of a confidence there in what in what your actual role is. I think I'm, I don't know if you were joking along with me or if that's just you are genuinely confident and not only confident, um, you know, proud to to actually make that contribution to the business. Would that be fair? Am I going down the right line with that, Anne? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Do you know, it's it's been really interesting in the evolution of the business as well because in the early days when it was just me and him, <clears throat> then I knew what my role was. I knew what my, what you know, what I was bringing to the company. I knew what what I had to do on a day to day basis. But as we've grown the business and we've gathered a lot more people in our team, um, and now you know we're a multi million pound business. Um, my role started to get a bit cloudy. And around about the time when two years ago I won the NatWest Every Woman Awards and funnily enough, I walked out of that room and I got a little bit of that imposter syndrome. I was like, oh, what did I win this for? I don't I don't deserve this. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Thinking there's other people that um are doing a lot more than I am. And what that actually did was rather than give me that kind of defeatist attitude where I was like, fine. I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know what I'm, I'm doing. I actually fought and I tried to figure out my role in the business and I discovered, rediscovered it in a sense because we have people now that do a lot of those things that I used to do. Mm. So it was, a, it was a process of rediscovery and a process of figuring out, you know, what my worth was or what my value was. Mm. And so... I would go into meetings with, you know, our commercial team and our operations team and I'd be sitting there thinking, I have no idea what they're talking about when they're talking about, you know, we need to run this stack and get this valve in here and we need to do this. Because I, I still to this day do not understand how the whole plumbing system works. But that's that's not a weakness. I think that's actually a strength mm -hmm. uh, that I can see things from a completely different angle. Mm -hmm. um, so <clears throat> what I realised in those meetings is I was throwing questions out there and I was throwing challenges out there and making people think about things they hadn't thought about before and that's that's what I've now realised is, is, is my position and role in the business, thinking about things outside of the box, strategising, moving forward and you know how we're going to grow and be different from everybody else in the marketplace.
Well, do you know, there's there's a there's a real humility that in that little um, snippet that you shared there. I mean, you, by the way, you just casually dropped in that you're an award winner, and um, <laughs> we'll probably come back to that, and we'll definitely share, you know, perhaps in the in the uh, commentary about the show uh, about your background. But you know, we'll come back to the rewards because I think there's some interesting things we can get into there. But I think when you just talked about the fact that you questioned your, you know, why did I get this? Do I deserve this? And I suspect um, pretty much a lot of women might feel like that at times. Men too, obviously. But I think in a lot of times, it's me speaking. So, you know, you might reject that because it's, it's a man actually offering that comment. But I think to have that, you know, perhaps a, a doubt or a lack of confidence, but then the humility to kind of go back and, and un- unravel, you know, yourself before coming out the other end. And that's where I'm going with this. You came out the other end, and by the sound of it, you know you sound really confident. You know your place. You know your value, and you know you, you're strong in the way that you put that over. That's what it sounds like to me, anyway. And is that is that fair comment? What oh. I've just extracted there. That's very kind, and yes, I think you you probably hit the nail on the head, Richard. Okay. <laughs> yes, I think <laughs> you have definitely. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you know, just to drill into that, I think there probably is a lot of a lot of women in particular who might feel that way. And um, what I most appreciate about it is the process that you went through and the fact that you kind of came out the other end. And you know, we all have wobbles, we have doubts, we have periods of time in our lives, men and women, by the way. Um, and you know, it, it's to to kind of extract that process that you went through, have a little bit of humility, you know, go back and reexamine and reevaluate, and then come back stronger. And, uh, and so, you know, well done, by the way, on, on that. So I don't know if you wanted to add to that. I was just making an observation from, from perhaps just the way you were talking. Yes, it was. I was actually invited to speak on International Women's Day at an event in South Wales for mumpreneurs. Um, and that, that kind of came up. And people said that often women are scared of failure. And that means that they won't take a leap of faith or they won't move forward or they won't try something a bit different um, and what I wanted to point out to the audience what I pointed out to the audience was that you cannot succeed if you don't fail and that could be failing more than once but if you look at all of those amazing entrepreneurs you know Richard Branson Steve Jobs Mark Zuckerberg Elon Musk they've all failed at some point and they probably will fail again at some point but and and it's fine to be scared of that, but you can't let that stop you. Um, because what it does, what failure does, is it builds resilience. Um, and means that you know you've failed at something, but you've learned from that, and you've overcome it, and you've moved on, and you've kept going. So it builds resilience, um, which is really important if you want to build a, a large scale business or be a successful entrepreneur. I think that's a really important point. Um, um, we, we learn through failing, and and I know there's research that shows that little girls, when they're growing up, um, when they fail, they give up. Um, mm. They don't, you know, for, for for some cultural reason, um, it's it's harder for little girls to keep going. So, but I know that's something that I'm trying to instill into my seven-year-old daughter. Oh, but perhaps I've got be, a seven-year-old son. <laughs> have you? Yeah. <laughs> I've also got a three-year-old son. Uh, <laughs> so um, it's probably a, a good point to to kind of ask you about um, 
your greatest successes and and maybe your your biggest failure or mishap that you're willing to share with us wow um there's been a lot actually i mean they can be quite small but they can be big ones for me personally in my mm. personal development um obviously things like winning awards is, is a massive success for me mm. um however things that i do in my everyday life can be even bigger successes um there was <laughs> going right back to the very very early days one of the biggest successes i think was when and he would be absolutely embarrassed to even admit this now but right back <laughs> at the beginning when i said to my husband so i can help you build this business up um, but I want you to make me a director and a shareholder. And he and he was quite resistant. <laughs> um, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until the accountant got involved and said to him, well, if you do this, then you're going to get massive tax advantages because, you know, 50-50 share and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll do it then. <laughs> and then he said, but you're not allowed to tell anyone. <laughs> Oh, you're not allowed to tell <laughs> anyone. <laughs> yep. He said, don't tell anyone. <laughs> but, I mean, right now, he's got a very, very different attitude to the whole thing. But that was, you know, he was only a very young, in his early 20s back then. So, um, and he's not from the UK either. He's originally from Albania. Um, and they have very different ideas back then. Uh, but, you know, that's all changed massively since then. But that is a, a big win. But, you know, right at the very early stages that I felt I got. Um, also, when I helped my husband, what was happening was we were getting from moving from being a domestic plumbing company to a commercial plumbing company. We started getting lots of opportunities to tender for bigger jobs. And it's actually, you know, to change your whole business model is can be quite daunting, stressful. You're not sure whether you're doing the right thing but I convinced him that moving away from domestic completely changing the business and going straight for commercial um, was going to be a much better uh, strategy for the business if we wanted to scale it up because ultimately if you think you know I'm doing all this marketing network advertising sales activity towards getting a 70 pound call-out charge where you could do all of that, but you don't even need to do that much in our industry um, because there's such a, a vacuum, there's such a, a lack of what we do in our industry that it's really, you know, um, quite niche. But moving away from what we know and saying, right, we're going to focus on this and we're going to go for these fifty to £100,000 contracts, um, that we decided that five years ago. Um, and that was a big win for us as well, um, just making that change moving away from what we knew, um, but taking that leap of faith, and it's worked. It's absolutely worked, that gamble. Um, when you talk about the, when you ask me about, you know, what are the, on the flip side of that, what are the big, I don't like the word failure, but. Yeah, I'd rather <laughs> call it a learning curve. Yeah, <laughs> learning curve. We undertook a, a very large scale project, much larger than we've ever undertaken. I mean, 
two, three times the size of what we would usually undertake um, about oh, 18 months ago. And at the time, you know, we took we did it for various reasons. We didn't just run into it with our eyes eyes you know with our eyes shut. We did it for a very good reason. But we, you know, as a small business, without all that kind of knowledge of of, of cash flow management and and how you move forward on that, we didn't foresee the issues that were going to arise in the future. Um, so we grew very quickly and a lot of people hear that kind of scale up oh that's amazing we've all got to scale up we've all got to focus on the sales figure the turnover but actually scaling up isn't always um, the right thing to do and it's not always the best thing to do either um, so we did that we undertook that project and it didn't, it didn't work out that well for us um, but what we've done is we've learned from that experience and, and moved so, yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a couple of points that just leap out on me in, in the stories that you shared, um, not least of which, you know, cultural backgrounds. Helen and I were talking about, you know, pr- you know setting the series up and social and cultural norms perhaps affecting, mm. um, you know, perceptions and reality for, for women in particular. We talk about women in property, obviously. Uh, you and we had a quick conversation before we started talking about construction is property, property is construction, it's all part of the same uh, industry. But, um, you know, I think you talked about your husband with um, the cultural influences that he had. And so congratulations, by the way, on achieving the uh, equal footing in the in the company at such an early stage. Mm-hmm. But he, he probably realized it was, it was visible on company's house to anyone who wished to look. But, you know, let that, 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 that little detail <laughs> slip away. But uh, I think... <laughs> I think the other thing, I really wanted to pick up on this because um, I think you said it in such an understated way. And that was when you talked about the leap of faith and changing direction and strategy of your business from domestic to these sort of larger contracts. There's a real parallel there, by the way, to, you know, what we all in our, in, in sort of lots of our listeners are, you know, into residential property in particular. But, you know, I, I know it's not exclusive. But there's a lot of parallels. But the point there is when you talk about the leap of faith, was the word that came to my mind was courage. Does that resonate mm. with you? Yes. You need to have that. You need to have confidence. Courage and confidence, I think, go together really. Um, you need to look at it, – it, it wasn't all just a, hey, let's go after the money type thing. You've got to also look at economic influences. You could see at the time – would come out of a recession you see the London um, construction industry was booming there was a real lack of the service that we wanted to provide um, so it was a calculated leap of faith or a calculated decision really so I think the courage can be built up through looking around you uh, building that knowledge base making sure you're doing the right thing um, and then moving forward that way Maxine. Perfect sense. You you haven't got the same benefit that we have. Um, we've just been speaking to a few people so far, haven't we, Helen? And we have. There's there's some common threads. Let's just say that. Um, you're probably detecting, aren't you, Helen? Um, some of them. Indeed. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And and what's particularly interesting is that now we're speaking to Anne, who 
um, is not a property investor. Uh, it's coming from you know construction angle, but so many of um, the things that she's saying, uh, you know, that yeah, there are similar threads. It, it's quite remarkable, really. Yeah, we we, we were talking mm. about you know women in property is a parallel to women in business, generally speaking. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And you've mentioned you know roles. You've also mentioned you've got a family. You at least one um, child there. You you touched on so. I've got three boys. Ah, Okay. Yeah. It was interesting. The month that we registered our company in 2009, I got pregnant with our first child. Um, So as well as uh, starting a business, uh, we were about to have a baby. So I had nine months to drum up some business for my husband to keep him busy because we both moved out of full-time employment. Um, So, you know, there was a real... And we had no, uh, being from a different country, we didn't have any support network behind us. We didn't have grandparents that we could, you know, leave the baby with while we went out and did what we did. So there's a real urgency for me to get as much business in as I could in that first year. But then following, after having our eldest son, I then got pregnant three months later and we subsequently had another boy 12 months after the first one. So we um, <laughs> that was just you know, we just added a little bit more pressure onto the pile. Um and so I think what that did though was that made us really focused and made us, you know, really drive the business forward. Um because I could only do so much within the time frame that I had. But I'd have a you know, I'd well, I'd be on the phone talking to a new client while my son was rolling around on the floor next to me on the, in the lounge. So the business was built from the lounge. Um, and it was, it was quite funny because in those early days, and still now to this day, I used to do a lot of networking. Uh, and I, be, I became quickly well known as the pregnant plumber lady of North London. And every, even now when I bump into people that I knew back then, they're all like, oh, you're not pregnant. Ha ha. <laughs> But I, you know, I became quite unique and quite well known purely because I was pregnant and a woman in plumbing, and that's kind of followed through. Actually, it still helps me stand out, a woman being in plumbing. So it might be interested, interesting to talk to you now, Anne, um, about how um, perhaps in in your case, running your own business with your husband helps you guys to to fit in family life because that's something from um you know from property but in i think in general uh, entrepreneurship lends itself to flexibility around family life so what's your experience with that well we couldn't do it without each other i think if one of us was restricted and having and working for somebody else and and having to you know work specific hours it it would really have been able to it would have really restricted the growth of the company and um the growth of everything that we were we were trying to work towards um early on i i got a childminder involved and and she's the silent hero here because she 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 helped me so much with my young children and gave me the ability to be able to build the business the way I wanted to. Nowadays, the boys are quite a lot older, but my husband and I share 
that responsibility. So if I want to attend a networking breakfast on Thursday morning, for example, he'll happily, you know, take them to school. Um, and so we, we have a real kind of uh, shared responsibility with the kids that way. And I think it's also, um, because I've worked pretty much full time, I mean, people always say, are you part-time? Do you work full-time? When you run your own business, I don't think there is any specific hours that you can say, I only work, you know, eight to five. Um, yeah. You just work when, when you've got the time and when you don't have somebody there, a small child, <laughs> you know, they're distracting you. You just work whenever you can. Um, so that's really been with, that with us. And also, it's funny because... People say, oh, you never switch off, do you? And they say that in a negative way, whereas mm -hmm. for myself and my husband, it's a very positive thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we, when we go out for dinner, we talk about the business and we talk about what we're going to do next and what other creative ideas mm -hmm. we've got. And, you know, we're always, we're always searching for the next thing and getting quite ambitious. It's quite exciting. It's, it's actually really made our relationship quite strong, I think, as well. So... We found building a business and, and building a family at the same time to, to work really well together as long as the two of us are both invested in both sides of that, both in the business and both in the family. It's wonderful to hear that story and you know, you're both contributing to the childcare and I, I love what you said about the silent hero with the with the childminder because it sounds like um, that person <laughs> in, enabled you or freed you to some extent at least to, to be able to focus and at least time, uh, dedicated time in the business. Um, you know, and uh, I don't know, I guess it's, you, you had support and I think that's the thing I want to get out and, um, uh, you know, Helen, I know that you, you know, you're, 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 uh, mother to a young family and you sometimes find it difficult don't you to juggle all the responsibilities we were you were joking about them between these calls in fact weren't you just literally before we came to record this but um i guess the two of you <laughs> swap some notes on that one a lot a lot healthier i mean i i shared a personal uh, anecdote that when i went into my own business it I was able to attend, you know, my children's events at schools and things like that and pick them up from school or take mm. them to school. Um, and if you're both working the business together, a couple, then um, it's great that you can have that, excuse me, shared responsibility, not only in the business, but at home as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have to both be able to do both. And, and, and also, you know, it's also important that it's not just my husband that's working you know eight to five every single day um and then you know coming home and being completely exhausted and stressed out um you know it's really important that both of us kind of share that responsibility sure and i guess the the obvious follow-up to that is there may be some people listening who think maybe i don't have that support um you know of a partner let's say um at home and i don't know between us on the call whether we can sort of figure out is is there a way for other people perhaps without that literal partner to lean on you know uh, for example you've already mentioned one which is having childcare. Um, mm. are there ways in which maybe single mothers in particular could could work around this when they haven't got a partner perhaps to muck in uh, what do you think i think if there's a will there's a way if you really want to build that business and you want to invest as much time as you can in it, you will find a way to do it. Um, I think that, you know, if if you're driven enough, because I, I might upset a few 
people, but um, <laughs> often I think that women think of their children as a barrier to their careers. Um, and I was reading the Sheryl Sandberg novel recently, and in it she made a, quite a really good point that I'd never really thought about before, but I think it's really important that a lot of women say, oh, I'm not going to go back to work because it's going to cost just as much as the childcare. You know, the cost is going to balance out, so I'm not really going to make any profit. What they don't, what they don't really think about or consider is that's in the short term. What about the long term? If you stop your career now and you don't go back to it for five years, you're not going to be able to go back to the career that you had and demand the salary that you had because you had so much time out of it. So if you continue on working um, throughout that early child, child, those child's years, that once you five years down the track, when those other women are looking to get back into their careers, you're already streets ahead of them and probably earning way more money than you were back then. So it's that kind of progression. So I think personally, if it's the same with the business, you have to invest a lot of time and effort in it. A lot of women start up their businesses from their home as, as if something to give them flexibility uh, I think that's the wrong, well, that, I mean, that works for a lot of people, but that wasn't why I started my business. I didn't start it because I had a small child and I was looking for a job that was going to give me the ability to be able to pick them up and drop them off because I was I only got pregnant in the first month when I registered the business. My drive was because I wanted to own something of my own. I wanted to be independent and I wanted to, you know, I always used to think I knew how to, run all my boss's businesses a lot, lot better than they did. So I always wanted something of my own that I was in control of uh, and that I wasn't going to be made redundant of, um, you know, that it was mine and I was in charge of my destiny. Um, so my drive was not around flexibility, but I do think that a lot of women start businesses because they want to be flexible around their children. And I think that's the wrong way to think about it. Well, I have to say, um, I mean, I, I would say my drivers were a combination of both of those things. But I don't, yeah, I wanted some, a bit more control and, and I, I, I wanted to work for myself rather than like you, perhaps I'd worked for some people in the past where I thought, crikey, if only they do X, you know, they'd be much yeah. more successful, but they, they weren't willing to listen. Um, but also, you know, I really appreciate being able to drop my kids off at school every day and, and pick them up um, and, and stuff. So I think, yeah, uh, there are a wide variety of women out there with lots of different motivations for perhaps mm. starting their own businesses. But it'd be great to move on from that point to kind of to understand your principles and your values and perhaps things that you would do differently and things that you would never change as a result of those uh, principles and values? Um, well, on that point, I wouldn't change anything. Not a thing. Mm -hmm. um, Ten years ago when we started the business, I never would have envisaged that we are where we are today. I definitely never would have thought I'd be running a plumbing company because when I was a little girl, I always said I was never going to marry a plumber in particular. Really? <laughs> I <didn't> want, yep. <laughs> I didn't want to marry someone that was going to plunge toilets for a living. <laughs> um, 
so that was not something I could have ever foreseen. Uh, but it has given me the ability because I'm not passionate about plumbing. Plumbing doesn't get me up, you know, get me out of bed in the morning. Um, but what I am passionate about is business mechanics and building a business and, and all the elements that go along with that and all the things that I've learnt over those years. So I've always, my husband and I have always understood our limitations. We're good at what we do, but you can't be good at everything. So the things that we were, we've surrounded ourselves with amazing advisors and we've built really strong relationships. Uh, and we've, I think I think we're good at com communicating. Um, and I think that's really essential to growing a business. My dad always said to us, I, you know, he was a lawyer. Uh, he's retired now, but he was a lawyer and he had a very successful law firm in New Zealand. He always said, I'm not the best lawyer. I, you know, I didn't get the best marks at university. He said, but I know how to talk to people and people like me. He said, that's been the key to my success. And, you know, having gone through the last 10 years running our own business, I, I, I completely agree with that sentiment that my husband and my success has grown a lot. Uh, through our relationships with people and um, how we communicate. Uh, you know, there's been many a time when we've had to call upon favours and many a time that's, that's, that's allowed us to continue to run our business the way we want it to. Um, so, yes, that's, that's, that is one of the values I think are really important. Um, the other values are working, you know, working as a team, being open and authentic. Uh, I think I get told often, I speak at a few events and I get told quite a lot that I come across as really honest. Um, if you're told off, and you I say? used to think that was <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing, isn't like, it? As honest, yeah, I used to think it was a bad thing. I was like, oh my God, I'm telling them far too much. I've got a big mouth. But what people are saying to me is that authenticity and honesty because people can smell it. You know, you can tell if someone's lying to you or not. Generally, people have got a good sense of that. Um, I've been told often that my, my honesty is really refreshing. Um, and so that seems to be working quite well for me as well. It's, it's funny, it's, I've been going, I've been running this business for a while now and, and I'm only really in the last couple of years I've much more self-aware mm. Of what works and what doesn't and and who I am in my place um, so that's come about really in the last few years I think in the early stages of starting your business you're still probably not really on top of that self-aware don't you don't have that awareness um, yeah mm. I hope that answered the question you did answer the question very very well and um, there's something you 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 said earlier actually when when you were talking about how you particularly how you started the business and I'm pretty sure it's consistent today, but you also talked about service customer service, um, didn't you? And perhaps trying to be a bit different and um, stand yeah. out from the crowd. Um, is that is that a consistent theme? Yes, it, it particularly when we were working in the domestic market mm. uh, because you were. You know, now in the commercial market, we only have, say, four or five clients that we work with on a regular basis because they give us large-scale projects. Um, 
when we were working in the consumer side for, for homeowners, um, that customer service is really important. Um, I worked my first um, real hard, hardened experience of customer service was working in a very high profile uh, restaurant in Sydney. Um, in that restaurant, we used to have celebrities, and Bill Clinton came in when he was the president of the United States. We had a very high profile clientele, and I was quite a young girl at the time, in my early 20s. Um, and I was a, you know, I had a bit of that arsiness about me <laughs> back then. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, you know, when someone was kind of bossing me around and telling me what to do, I didn't really like it. <laughs> so I was quite resistant to that, defiant. But I got put in my place on a number of occasions, and that broke that, that barrier down a bit. But it also taught me, you know, that, you know, people say that sucking up to people is not necessarily a good thing, but I think it can work wonders <laughs> in a business environment where you might be dealing with somebody and, and you, you don't particularly like them, but as long as they like you, it's fine. And, and we're all going to have to do that and suck it up. And that's, and that's definitely a indicator of how, you know, how, how your communication relationship building is going to succeed. If you can just accept everybody for who they are and, and understand that maybe that day they're having a bad day at home or their missus is leaving them or whatever and, and just, you know, keep going. Keep going. Don't get arsy back with them. <laughs> exactly. Well, people are people and they want to feel important, especially if they're their clients, you know, so um, there's no harm mm. in it. You know, I think actually not, not no harm. It's essential. But um, I did I did detect that. So thanks for sharing that. But um, I'm going to use that as a little bit of a segue. And um, you do strike me as being a little bit shy and reticent. Anne, but I'm going to pull that. I'm going to pull something out of you, which is on your bio on your website. You talk about a couple of awards. So come on. Tell us about those awards. So when we started our business, um, you know, we weren't thinking about awards at that time, but about 2012, 2013, I thought it might be a good idea to enter us in because I was, I was starting to think, you know, we've got something here. We're a little bit different to our competitors and we've got a great kind of mission statement. And we entered uh, uh, the Federation of Small Business Hertfordshire Awards and won the Best New Business. And we also won the Southeast of England Champions uh, Best New Business that year as well. And um, as I've gone through the years, I've been building up my own profile um, as a woman in construction ambassador, you know, trying to encourage more young women into the industry, um, showing that there's diversity in the industry, et cetera. And so I put myself forward for a, a couple of other awards as well. So I was really absolutely gobsmacked. I couldn't believe that I won the NatWest Every Woman Athena Award in 2017 because it's a very, very high-profile award. It's a national award, and it's judged by a serious panel of female entrepreneurs. There was Chrissy, who heads up the White Company, and um, there was ladies, and there was Amanda Wakeley. And there, I mean, the, the women involved in this whole campaign experience was incredible. 
people. And I had to sit down in a panel in the city in front of three amazing women business owners who have sold their businesses and made millions and tell them about myself. And wow. and they obviously liked it because they, they made me the winner. So that was an incredible experience. What that's done as well is it's really propelled me into the public eye and I had a whole feature on the Daily Mail last year and um, a few other things and the telegraphs and things. And now they've just released a new uh, campaign called Self-Made Every Woman Ambassador Campaign. Uh, they've got this online hub where female business owners can go with free resources to download and, and get involved in this community that they've developed in a conjunction with um, a number of different uh, sponsors. So that was amazing. And um, I was also the runner-up for the Great British Entrepreneur Awards last year, which is my husband always think that's hilarious since I'm from New Zealand. Um, but yeah, that was another amazing accolade. Um, but now I'm 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 not entering any more awards for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, I've actually been asked to judge a few awards, so I'm quite enjoying that actually, kind of being on the other side of the other side of the chair. There was there was one other and um, that you mentioned, which I thought was quite interesting, and, and you'll know why. Um, you you were awarded the free man of the city of London, I believe. Yes, so uh, I I am a member of the Worshipful Company of Plumbers, which is one of the oldest livery companies in London. Uh, it's like over three hundred and sixty years old. Um, and in order to become a liveryman, you also have to be awarded the Freeman of the City of London. So yes, I went through that. Um, Last year, I think it. Yeah, it was last year, and that was that was an amazing experience to see see you know that whole different side of London than most people do, and really understand where the trades started from in the city of London, and how it was how it was run such a different way back then. With you know these liveries used to kind of hold the standard, the quality mark. If you you could only operate as a plumber if you were a liveryman, if you were part of this plumber's company, and if you were reported by a client or a customer that your workmanship wasn't up to scratch, then you could be tossed out and you could lose your ability to be able to work as a plumber. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's it's it's not quite like that now nowadays, but it's um, <laughs> it's got some amazing foundations. <laughs> It was just the name itself. It was intriguing, to be honest. Obviously, we're talking to a woman who's the CEO of a company, and you got the free man. You know, I'm picking on the word, obviously, but as you said, I think you're <laughs> quite subtly, aren't you? Things were quite different back then. <laughs> so, um, yeah, very. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, and and it wasn't just to kind of give you um, to embarrass you by asking about the words. You kind of said also in your response that. Um, it gave you some extra things. So, for example, profile. And you are a marketeer at heart, after all, aren't you? So, um, I, I, mm-hmm. yep. I guess I guess that was certainly part of your thinking, and not not necessarily, you know, just for the ego. <laughs> um, you don't sound to me like any, you know, ego trip sort of person, and to be honest with you. So, is it all in the marketing and the PR? Yes, it really all goes right back to those early days when I wanted to establish a brand that was all about 
reliability and showing that you know the general public seem to be under the impression that tradesmen are unreliable and all trying to take take you for a ride and all trying to rip you off. Um, and I feel quite passionately that that's absolutely not the case, and that you know back in those old days when when those liverymen and those those individuals that were had these craftsmanship um, individuals like that are still around. There are some cowboys, but you know the majority of them aren't. They're just trying to make a living, um, and and it's very applaudable um, what they're trying to achieve. So what I'm trying to do really. Is show the public that that the trades are not just cowboys, and you know it's a it's a you know these individuals are building these buildings that we live in all day every day. This is our life. This is where we work. This is where we sleep. Um, and it's really a very very important integral part of society. Um, so no, it's not just about me. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. If, if I can jump on in there, um, that's a really interesting viewpoint. And I wonder if perhaps as a service provider, as someone um, who runs a, a plumbing company, what can you give our audience of um, property investors? Uh, can you give them some tips or advice perhaps mm. about getting the best from um plumbers and other tradespeople absolutely i'm glad you asked that question <laughs> so oh, i'm waiting i'm waiting something i feel quite <laughs> when we uh i mean i admit we are working on very very large scale projects now but but one thing i've found throughout throughout the whole process of each one of the projects that we work on is that there's no transparency in the supply chain by that I mean that you know we work for our client and our client could be a main contractor or it could be a mechanical contractor but we as the installers people are actually you know realizing the dream realizing that property developers uh, project and bringing it into fruition and, and, and bringing it to life we often have absolutely no connection no communication no link up at all with the developer themselves with the client they don't even know who the plumbing company is it's installing that pipe in their building that pipe that they're going to be you know that they own ultimately and that they're going to be in charge of maintaining and and they're going to have that pipe in there for years to come I think it's really important as a property developer that they understand builds not not just leave it to to the builders to deal with but understand who's doing it for them you know what products they're using how it all works and how it all fits together um, so that then in the future they'll, they'll be able to really understand their, their projects from the inside out um, and also because often you know we've worked some some interesting companies in lots of different industries and when during during the whole process of the build itself we have had so many changes thrown at us or you know so many obstacles thrown at us um, and what's that meant is that the the cost of the build has gone up massively for the property developer or the client um, and that cost and they don't always really understand why or the impact of that change of heart that they've had or or the impact of the of the yeah, basically the the ideas that they have that they want to change something, they don't realise the impact that has actually 
on the build itself and on the people that are actually installing it. Um, and often they've, you know, the design has been put to people that are not plumbers, for example. We often end up installing um, systems that don't work because the designers haven't actually, they're not plumbers themselves or they've never really seeked the the expertise or the knowledge of a plumber. They've just done what they've always what they've always known, um, which isn't always necessarily the most innovative approach either. So I would I would emphasize and hope that from this whole podcast that property developers at least could take away with them that by working closely with every element of the supply chain, right down to the plumbers, right down to the electricians, putting the um, putting their project together, that they try to make sure that they they're in in sight, that they understand what's going on. I think that would help everything massively for us and for them as well. Well, that's win win, and that's uh, that's always the best approach to take, isn't it? Um, so perhaps uh, at this point we could ask for your advice for people in general, but women in particular, perhaps who are starting or in the early stages of their um, entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, what, what, what are your tips? What advice would you give? So um, I would say don't try and do everything. Seek advice and support. Um, if you know if you're not if you're not good at something, don't just keep wasting your time trying to figure out how to do it. Find somebody that can help you, um, and don't be shy. Uh, I would also say that for me, you know, even even though weirdly now my role within the business is around the money, um, but I'm the qualification. Don't think that you can't be a chameleon and that you can learn this skill set. Um, and as a business owner. The most important thing is understanding the money. You know, even in the early days, even now, the money is what holds the business together. The money is, is the whole real reason why a business operates. So as a business owner, man and woman, you, you've really got to understand the money and how it flows and what profit means and what credit control is and all those types of things. Um, yes, so if you don't understand that, make sure you get somebody that does that sounds like a, words, indeed yeah indeed they are and i think that sounds like a fitting note to be honest a couple of real gems that came out of your last shares you know about getting people around you and not being afraid and understanding the numbers exactly you know for example and i think also just going back to your previous answer about you know being a bit more inclusive perhaps you know uh, I, i'm running some property mm -hmm. developments and i was like a little bit embarrassed when you were saying the developer sometimes doesn't even know who the plumber is. And I was like, mm. <laughs> yeah, I remember going to, this was just a small project. But I remember going to see uh, a site and um, I met actually the general, the builder. I was dealing with um, kind of a project consultant essentially, but then, you know, all the trades were on site when I went to visit and everyone's like the, the sort of the on-site manager said, I don't know who you are. I don't, you know, I didn't even know your, I didn't even know your name. <laughs> Um, and I said, okay, you know, and he said, I'd like to know who, who I'm dealing with. And yeah, so uh, point taken. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. off in. Um, so um, I'm going to try and find a way of being a bit more inclusive, I think. Um, I don't know the full okay. answers yet, but I think um, it's a very good piece of advice. But I, 
I've really enjoyed this conversation, but just with a bit of an eye on the time, and, and I don't know if there's anything you okay. want to offer up in this sort of maybe final segment, but what I'd like to invite you to do, Anne, is to, is to share how people can get in touch with you if they would like to, and if you would like to, and indeed if they do, perhaps what's, uh, what they should say or what they should look for. And if there's anything else you want to share at that particular time, that'd be perfect too. Okay. Uh, well, I, you can find me on uh, social media. I have a Antimpany page on Instagram. Uh, it'd be great if you want to connect up on LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn a lot, actually. I find it's a fantastic um, way to connect with people and engage with people and get clients as well. Um, I'm also uh, about to launch my own website, which will be antimpany.com. Um, what I'm doing is starting to work on driving driving consultancy forward to help businesses like ours in the early stages build themselves up. Uh, and you will also find me on Facebook, but not on Twitter. I'm sorry, that's just not <laughs> not one of my favourite social media channels. <laughs> okay, I mean, um, you so you got antimpany.com. I'm just saying it out loud because obviously this is an that's audio yeah. recording. Um, is there any other sort of actual references that you, you want to share that people you know won't necessarily see the show notes, which we will have all these links in, and I'm sure you'll share them with us. Um, but if there's any other other site that you want to mention, uh, like your company website, for example, um, that would be an opportunity. Yes. So our company website is Atra Living. So that's spelled A-T-R-A Living, L-I-V-I-N-G, .co.uk. Um, so that's another place you can find us. And as I said, I have an Instagram page. And my husband and I actually have our own Instagram page called The Greedy Couple, which is quite popular if you're looking for some inspiration. Did you say <laughs> The Greedy Couple? Nice, interesting dinners. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, I horrified my husband by entering him in MasterChef last year. So <laughs> he ended up on MasterChef in this season. So we, we have a page around the kind of food he cooks and things. <laughs> Sounds fun. Sounds fun. We'll put all those links in the show notes. But it's been interesting and, and indeed fascinating to get your insights because, you know, I think we, as, a, as I probably thought, we probably thought it would be a sort of different angle. And yet there's some common threads uh, that, you know, come out from, you know, you, you won't understand because we've spoken to a few people already. But so many, you know, valuable insights. And I really thank you, Anne, for you know, the shares and the time you've taken today to share with our audience. And I'm sure if people would like to reach out to you, uh, you, you were very subtle again in talking about your consultancy to help um, people start out in business. So just a bit of a plug for you in that respect as well. But I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you oh, once thank again you. for it. No, no, you're welcome. And uh, I just maybe hand over to Helen for any final closing words before we, we say our goodbyes. Thank you, yeah, Richard. Just, just really wanted to, to say thanks so much for for being our victim today and we've learned so much from you <laughs> um, and it's really nice to have a, a such a different perspective coming from a woman in construction um, when you know construction and property are so closely allied but often people don't think of them in, in that way so thanks so much no. for coming on the show oh no it was great thank you very much for asking me it was lovely to meet you over the phone both of you <laughs> Great, and hopefully we'll meet in person sometime. But um, and thanks so yes. much 
Really appreciate it. Obviously, we'll tell you when the show is going live so you can do a little bit of cross promotion. You never know, it might be another award on the on its way. <laughs> so, yeah, you never know. <laughs> thanks now, and we'll speak to you soon. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was a really, you know, very fascinating um, conversation. You, you can probably tell that Anne is, is so quietly confident, I guess I would say. And she has so much to share, which is of value. I was jotting down some notes. They're in the show notes. So I'm going to point you to that because it was quite a long episode. So I'm not going to speak a lot. I'm sure you've picked up quite a lot of good points from just listening. And if you want to see a summary, I suggest you go and have a look at the, at the show notes. And uh, you're going to find a lot more detail there. But it was uh, it was very, very fascinating. So um, Anne's contacts are obviously there. They're in the show notes as well. I mean, I guess that's all we've got time for now this week. So if you want to talk about anything from today's show or, or just talk about property investing more generally, you know you can email both Helen and I, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and we'd be more than happy to hear from you. Meanwhile, the show notes can be found over our website, thepropertyvoice.net. And I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.